This is the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. Now, here are your hosts, Jeff Sharon and Eric Lopez. Welcome to the show. Happy Holidays, Night Nation. Jeff Sharon with you here. We got Kyle Nash, student of the game in the house. We got Bryce Turner in here with us. We got a loaded show here for you to get you through the Christmas commute as we uh, as we wrap up. Well, a bunch of things. We got uh, we got we'll talk a little bit of recruiting, which, um, you know, if you're like me and Kyle and Bryson and a lot of other ones of us, so you're like, OK, uh, let's cut through the Twitter chatter a little bit you know, and, and the, and the crap talking and whatnot, and actually get down to some brass tacks here. Uh, basketball men's hoops got a big W over, <clears throat> over the Stetson Hatters uh, in a little throwback game on uh, Wednesday night. We'll talk about that. We'll talk about the women's team also uh, with one game left in their non-conference schedule, uh, getting back-to-back dubs this week as well. And uh, a little bit later, we'll join by our friends on our SB Nation sister site. It's called Duke Basketball Report, but they do happen to cover football as well. It shows you exactly what Duke thinks about football. But, um, the, but we will talk with them about, uh, about uh, the Blue Devils heading into the Military Bowl uh, on the 28th against UCF. So we'll get some perspective from the Dukies um and uh also a little uh is that right bryson a little mls draft news to talk about yeah i'm sorry no no not mls draft mls super draft super, super draft, draft. <laughs> yes it's it's I, I keep thinking of remember the looney tunes cartoon stupor duck oh boy which is just an absolute masterpiece absolute masterpiece i must not have caught on because i've never heard of that it's or is that a daffy duck personality Uh, yes that's what it is it's daffy duck doing superman and it's fan and it's and it's fantastic it has the it has the greatest fake villain name of all time in it um aardvark ratnik (laughs) i mean is that not great special yeah i swear I, I I seriously thought about like making that making that like a burner Twitter handle. If you ever see that pop up, it's probably me. Uh, anyway, let's talk <laughs> early signing day and let's throw some asterisks and little the little crosses and the double asterisk and the triple asterisk and all that. All right, so uh, 2022 signees, um, 14 of them, booms, nothing but booms. Uh, for for UCF coming from uh, uh, Georgia, Florida, Alabama, several places. There's also some transfer portal movement, which we'll talk about a little bit. Some of the uh, headlines uh, that we were talking about: John Walker, the defensive tackle from Osceola High School in Kissimmee, stayed with UCF, but of course we knew that big kid, six four, three hundred defensive tackle. He joins Andrew Rump from Palmetto. Uh, as a defensive tackle uh, up front. We also got Caven Call from Apopka as a defensive end. A couple offensive linemen here, uh, 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 Kyle Nash. Uh, mm-hmm. Jonathan Klein from Cartersville, Georgia. Keon Cox of Phoenix City, Alabama. Uh, also another D lineman, I forgot to mention, Isaiah Nixon from St. Pete. Uh, we got some uh, wide receiver help with Tyree Patterson of Eustis. Uh, and, uh, and Randy Pittman, a tight end from, uh, Lynn Haven, Florida as well. And another kicker, which I should mention, Grant Reddick, who's, uh, I think he's number one, number one kicker in the country. Is that right? From Boone high school, uh, just down the road, kicker and punter. 
Um, and, uh, and of course, quarterback uh, Dylan Rizik from Fort Lauderdale went to Cardinal Gibbons, uh, joins the fray as well. I think we had, let's see, a couple linebackers, uh, Braden Marshall, a corner from Lake Mary. So rather local flavor to this, uh, uh, to this class, which, uh, I mean, I remember going back to the first Scott Frost press conference where they were talking about recruiting Florida. Um, and Gus, you know, has his contacts in Alabama, Arkansas, Georgia, throughout the Southeast, Kyle. But um, let's look at this from the everyone likes to talk about, you know, oh, we got this one guy to flip or he was thinking about or you didn't get this guy to flip. I don't give a rep about any of that stuff. <laughs> I mean, if the guy's going to come here, he's going to come here. If he's not going to come here, he's not going to come. Here. And if he flips, maybe we didn't want him. Maybe we don't, well, don't want a guy like that to begin with. Who can that be that easily swayed? I'm just saying, well, but, but I, I mean, what for you yeah. looking at all this, what's the top line story here? I mean, first of all, Walker coming in at the defensive tackle st- spot, he's probably the highest. I think he is the highest rated touted, whatever you want to call it uh prospect um, that UCF has gotten out of high school. Right. Like there's been a lot of quality transfers uh, in Gus's, uh, tenure here but as for a boom directly for high from high school walker got it and he got it in what i would i don't i don't know i would necessarily call it a position of need but it's certainly one where you're filling a gap right uh anthony montalvo is out the door you just potentially replaced him very nicely so getting something like that in place where linebacker and db is a focus to get a stout middle is the key to keeping linebackers and safeties who are going to attack the backfield or a people at the night position, right? The Justin Hodges of the world, getting that in place is essential, right? Just as an example, for those that want to ask why Ray Lewis's career had two excellent defensive tackles, right? Sam Adams and, um, Goose uh, Hiloti. Well, the, Syracuse was more the late of, Tony Syracuse. Yeah. Yeah. He was more kind of a, a stout DN that they would move inside and outside. I'm more referring to Hiloti Nada. That's a, mm-hmm. a nose in the middle kind of to, to plug things up. Not that they run a three, four, like they do in that set that I'm talking about with Baltimore, but nonetheless for vetting guys like me getting to the second level to really rough up guys in, in at that space in the run game to that, you know, have a clear size advantage. So I, I like what's going there, getting in the, the trenches and, and, and beefing up, that part of the, the team is something you've heard me preach about what literally all football mm. season, Jeff. And, yeah. uh, you know, I like some of these offensive line pieces they're pulling in a little bit smaller than I'd like, but also remembering these are high school kids coming in. It'll be interesting to see what they're putting up on the scale after a full off season program and working on getting themselves a little bit stronger, a little bit bigger. And a point you made, actually, I think it was either last uh, podcast or or, the, or or two weeks ago here on the Black and Gold Banneret podcast, Jeff, replacing skill players at an excellent clip, uh, especially at the wide receiver and cornerback position, right? You mentioned mm-hmm. um, uh, the Lake Mary kid, Braden Johnson. Um, what Coach had to say about him is that he plays corner, but he has a safety's body. Safeties, quality safety. Braden Marshall, we should say. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Braden Marshall. I said Johnson, my fault. Braden Marshall. It, it, I, I, th- I thought that, and I'm like, Brandon Marshall? No, 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 that's not it. Anyways, Braden Marshall. Yeah, I know. Uh, Braden Marshall um, has the build of a safety, uh, but he has corner skills. As you see, he's listed as that um, on uh, uh, coming out of Lake Mary. But the, the whole thing is this. 
if he could get coached up proper, start to learn the safety spot, not only could he become a quality option, you know, a la, you know, the Richie Grants of the world, but if if he builds enough with that kind of size, I mean, that's, that's, that's professional level prospect, you know, low level NFL, you know, XFL, USFL player before he's done. And that kind of development you could get under miles on could keep him here for a long time in a world where recruiting internally is just as important externally as Gus also pointed out during signing day when I asked him. Mm-hmm. Um, we've got, this is not the only national signing day that we'll be going through in the next two months. Indeed. Uh, the actual national signing day is February 1st. Right. Um, <clears throat> what holes have to be filled between now and then, you think? I still feel like there's an element uh, where more offensive beef is needed, not so much that we have what we have there is is wanting, right? Uh, Lokahi Paoli. Um, did I say it right this time? Pio? Paole. Paole, whatever. So Paole, uh, Lokahi Paole uh, has committed to staying. If they hold on to Matt Lee, you got a good internal core there. Um, but with um, with the rest of the group uh, uh, kind, of, kind of missing from that point, getting Klein and company in uh, is nice, but they still need more. So I, we'll probably see some of that in the transfer portal. And also Coach, uh, Coach Malzahn mentioned that linebacker, just like last year, this year is also an area of focus. Uh, with all the guys that have since uh, departed um, thus far in the group. So definitely still, I would still accept, expect to see plenty of action in the transfer portal, but in particular, those positions um, overall. Bryson Turner, let's turn to you and talk about some incoming transfers here because um, you've been all over it with our transfer portal tracker. Um, there are a couple of, uh, a couple of incoming guys here. I think that, that may serve to, uh, fill up some of those spots already. You know, we, for example, um, you know, Kyle, you mentioned the beef up front. Well, Marcellus Marshall, redshirt junior offensive tackle from Kent state was all Mac first team. And now he's coming to town. Interestingly, he's actually from Morgantown, West Virginia. So that'll make for an interesting little homecoming for him when we go against the mountain Mountaineers. But uh, Eric Lopez is not here today. So I'm going to say it for him. Let's see who came from the portal. <laughs> Bryson, so, who's in the portal? There we go. <laughs> yes, uh, I had I had to uh, adjust it a teeny bit because this time we're actually being able to see what the portal giveth us today. Yes. <laughs> so, so the portal giveth who? The portal has given us a new long snapper to potentially take up the reins from Alex Ward. His name is Gage King, a redshirt senior out of Arizona State. And Jay Feely actually called him an NFL quality long snapper. And with Alex Ward. Shout shout uh, out to Drew, Mr. Long Snapper. So with uh, so with so if with Alex Ward seeming having some uh, buzz about him being in the NFL, we could potentially maybe see two NFL quality long snappers in a row here at UCF. So that's a nice boon to have, especially con- especially considering the, sp- the special teams now because Colton Boomer will be moving into his sophomore year. Uh, so we also have a- another corner by the name of Fred Davis II. I tried to see if he was related to Fred da- to the Fred Davis from the Commanders, but uh, could not come up on that. But he is from Clemson. He has two mm-hmm. years left on his eligibility. He played in seven games last season, started three of them, made 13 tackles, two pass breakups, and recovered a fumble. So that it, he also adds with another corner who was listed among the signing day 
signings, but he was a he's a JUCO guy, so we won't went and put him in the portal since he's transferring from community college. His name is Jameric Morris. He played with Hutchinson Community College, and he did, did very well for them. He was an all conference th- conference recognize, recognition for their conference, which is called the Jayhawk Conference. Interestingly. Um, <laughs> And he ended up like basically one one thing that it was interested me is he really was a class above the rest of his teammates in interceptions and pass breakups, which is something that I think the secondary really lacked this season. And so, oh, yes, (laughs) not a lot of interceptions out of the secondary this year. Right. And this is also something that another secondary transfer might help him with safety to Jordan mask, which, by the way, might end up solid name. I think that'll make your like favorite names to say. I Solid remember, name. Uh, he is from Texas State, actually. So uh, I don't Bobcats. think. Bobcats. So, yes. And that's where GJ Kenny actually just ended up. But he ended up, uh, he played in 12 games in last season. So he played the full season, made 42 tackles and caught three interceptions. So another, so another m- member of the secondary that's hopeful that hopefully we'll be able to give them some more interceptions, especially with Kobe Perry gone, Devon Wilson going to the NFL, finding people that can get those interceptions, I think is very key for the secondary. And I think that's also a big reason why we saw Addison Williams get the promotion that he did to see the secondary, pe- the people in the secondary that he's been managing to bring in, ha- m- being able to hold on to those people for next season is going to be huge in order to just not let that whole unit just derail. Lastly, from the portal, you mentioned Marcellus Marshall earlier. We have another SEC wide receiver named Chauncey Magwood from Kentucky. He played all 12 games in 2022, caught seven receptions for 104 yards. So that just deepens an already stacked wide receiver core that's starting to get a good amount of former SEC players in there. Yeah, it's funny how mm-hmm. that works. Yeah. And as a real quick aside, you know, one would have to wonder as far as your your guys coming in to get more uh, defensive back stats on the list there, Bryson. I'll be curious to see what Addison Williams does, not necessarily for the upcoming game in the military bowl, but into the next season, how he changes the scheme to see if he still does the bend, don't break approach. He, 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 the more, let's put it this way, the more good transfers they are, the less he'll have to do to compensate uh, in scheme to give them the opportunity to get those numbers. So I think that's, that this will be a very interesting thing to watch moving forward with the program. Yeah. You also mentioned, by the way, that linebacker being a position of need with Addison Williams being promoted to defensive coordinator, that leaves the linebacker coach position open because that's what Travis Williams had alongside being defensive coordinator. So I'm going to be very interested to see who the Knights are going to hire for that spot. Hmm. Um, <clears throat> a couple of things that we wanted to, uh, a couple of interesting uh points from the transfer portal as well. We want to just mention, uh, of course, we mentioned Ryan O'Keefe going to Boston College, which you already knew, and JJB, um, Jeremiah Jean-Baptiste heading to Ole Miss. Mikey Keene made some news yesterday. He announced he will transfer to Fresno State. He will play for Jeff Tedford, uh, who, of course, is well-known uh, quarterback guru, of course, coached Aaron Rodgers at Cal, among, uh, among several other players. Um, Kyle. I thought that's a pretty good fit for Mikey. I'm glad he's heading out to to, to Fresno to play for Tedford. I'm forced to agree. Listen, we we had a long conversation last year about a few players who I thought bit off more than they could chew with their transfers. And I'm glad to see that Mikey King is not among among those. Um, listen, you know, say what you will. Maybe he pulls um, a, a DJ Mac and 
you know, starts there and has great success at a different program and, and you know, gives himself an opportunity. Mm-hmm. Maybe he'll do even better than that and clips himself back into a power private program as he learns more. I, I'm not sure exactly what to expect from Mikey Keene. Um, I know I, I know I've uh, been critical of some of his uh, passing abilities, so to speak, but I do think he has a good foundation in base base. He has the intangibles and this could be a good platform through which he could learn. Yeah, I'm with you. Uh, I mean, if you're going to get better, you may as well do it with a guy like Tedford, right? I mean, look who exactly. he's coached in the past. Uh, at Fresno, uh, coached the likes of uh, Trent Dilfer, Billy Volick. Uh, let's see. At, or, he was at Oregon also. Coached Akili Smith to being a top draft pick. Of course, you know, you can talk about his NFL career all you want, but Akili did get there and make a lot of money. Um, A.J. Feely, uh, Joey Harrington. Um, you know, he was a cow. We talked about Aaron Rodgers, uh, you know, and, um, uh, and has a success and has had a successful career, uh, coaching elsewhere as well. So, um, Hey, good for Mikey. Best of luck out there at Fresno. I hope that he does get the chance to not just develop, but also, you know, win. And, uh, you know, Fresno this past year under Tedford went 10 and four, uh, uh, won the LA bowl this year, seven and one in the mountain West. And, um, Hey, could be a lot worse, right? Uh, let's see. Yeah. Oh, he coached Kyle Bowler. Almost forgot about Kyle Bowler. So Kyle, I should have been a bowler. Yeah. Sorry. What? Uh, <laughs> hey, don't laugh. Uh, he also co- he also recruited Jared Goff, but was uh, but was fired before he had the chance to to coach him at Cal. So that is um, yeah. And then uh, and yeah. So we we wait to see what the transfer portal uh, giveth to former Knights um, as well. All right. Let's make a transition, shall we, uh, to men's basketball last night. Uh, now, earlier this week in Sunrise, Heartbreaker lost at the buzzer beater to Mizzou in a game that you look at and you just kind of throw your hand up and you're like, really? Like, you know, on a broken play at the end of the game, Mizzou throws in a 40-foot buzzer beater and wins the game. Um, but... Uh, one of the things that, that Todd Dagenet told me over volleyball is never let a team beat you twice. And UCF did not do that against the Stetson Hatters. Old school matchup on Wednesday night, 73-58 was the final. In a game where UCF jumped out to a big lead, Stetson chipped away. This is a Stetson team to beat Florida State earlier this year, by the way, mind you. Mm-hmm. Coached by our former head coach, Donnie Jones. Also, Sean Finney, former UCF assistant with Donnie at Stetson as well. We had a bunch of guys from the Donnie era in the crowd yesterday, like uh, Dwight McCombs, Josh Criddle, Matt Williams were all there. Um, <clears throat> it was tight there in that uh, second half for, for a minute, but key moment in the game. And, uh, and I'm looking at the second half right now through the play-by-play. Stetson was within one here, uh, under 10 minutes to go. and. Uh, it, let's see, it, w- it was what 62 to fi- or, or at one point it was 56 to 50 or 55 54 after Luke Brown made it through a 608 to go. UCF's up one. Um, couple Brandon Suggs free throws. Darius Johnson makes a jumper to make it a five point game. Uh, Ithiel Horton makes a three to make it 62 54. The key moment after the under or, or prior to the under four timeout, uh, Sam Peak makes a layup. Uh, 6256. And then immediately after the layup, Ithiel Horton gets the ball 
and decides to do this. For there is Peak. And now quickly the other way, the quick outlet. Here is Horton. No! Down no! On his head! On his head! You cannot wield it. None of us can. Todd Adams, and that's that was Mike O'Donnell. Did he say you <laughs> cannot wield him? Like he, he had a sword? I don't know. I don't even know. What, what did he say? What did you hear? Kyle? I heard wield. Yeah, I'm with Bryson on that. If you want me to be surprised, I mean, it was an amazing play, and I am enthusiastic <laughs> to see it. But if you want me to be surprised that Ithiel Horton did that, listen, I've mentioned him as that powder keg, that Tasmanian devil on this squad, that if he gets unleashed, it's a dangerous thing proven in that execution. He was, uh, that was such a key play. And boy, it was fun to see him actually, like, you know, because he feels been a really good outside shooter. I love to see him take it to the hole because he's mm-hmm. the dude's built. He's like a slightly larger form of Darius Johnson with longer arms. He's built like a middle linebacker. Mm. And I love to see him get ahead of steam to the hole. And man, like goodness me. Um, that was based off pure athleticism and just the look of the play. That I think that might be a play of the year candidate. It's not I think it win. is. It's not going to win because we don't know that. Edson, but well, the problem is, is that the the thing that working against this one is 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 it's a game against Stetson, and it's not exactly as big of a game as Oklahoma State. I think that's. Uh, I don't want. I don't want. We'll let the fans decide that later in the year. Let, let's put it on the spreadsheet, Bryson. Put it on There's the nothing wrong with setting the bar. I'm with you. Right. Right. Um, very call though. Well done, Michael Donald. Okay, so we get the dub heading into conference play nine and three. The three losses are by a combined seven points, Cal. Um, where are we at right now? Are, 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 are would you say the heading into conference play, conference opener 28th, uh, a week, uh, next Wednesday against Wichita State? How do you, how would you do you feel watching this team? How does in talking to coach Dawkins and the players, how do they feel heading into uh, heading into conference play right now? I mean, you mentioned Dawkins. He's going to feel as confident as, as I think coach Dawkins is capable of feeling right. Like he always, he's always looking ahead to the very next game. So, you know, as far as like, Oh yeah, it's not like he's going to come out with that. We're going to take down the world kind of message. It's always very meticulous. One game at the time, looking at the next thing, but I don't see how he players and fans alike aren't excited about this group. You've mentioned how close they are to being an undefeated basketball team this point in and, and, you know, say what you will about Taylor Hendricks. Obviously, obviously he's a big part of it, but the contribution that's come from literally everybody on this floor at some point they've had nights where every player that's on the floor puts up points uh, um granted those are more kind of blowout nights but let's not take anything from it what what this group does off the bench and their starting five this is the true versatility that we were hearing about uh last year from Dawkins in a group that didn't just didn't quite lock in every night delivering that versatility be it because of whatever discipline issues like we heard in the preseason or or any of the uh other issues um, that came up with injuries. This is a group that's delivering in many different ways, has a deep front court, has a talented back court, and Taylor Hendricks, who's a versatile play, player capable of doing both. 
It's a great mix. I'm not here to say they're going to win the American, which is a tough basketball conference, but they're going to get at least as far as last year's group and maybe one round further. Bryson, I wanted to ask you about that too, because you know you talked to the guys yesterday as well. Um, and you know, I thought that last night the offense, especially early, just had an extra gear with Darius Johnson. He looks like he's fully back now. CJ Walker didn't play last night, but he's uh, but word is he'll be ready to go for conference play. One more week to rest, and then he'll be back 100, percent or at least close to it. Um, you know, but Darius told you some interesting stuff last night about how he kind of see how he views the non-conference uh, slate. Yes, he he based well. Phil Horton actually said something very interesting. He viewed the non-conference slate as a as a good benchmark for how. Uh, for how conference play is going to work out. Because, of course, you know, you got Houston and Memphis on there. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, that speaks for itself. Uh, but Darius has, I think, has kind of the right idea here. He he re- he is cognizant of the fact that, you know, three possessions go differently, and this team is an undefeated basketball team. He's not he's not blind to that. But it in the end, he ends up learning from the little moments from those t- from those times. And you can't really do anything else about them, and then that will basically take you through into in, they take you through into conference play and make them better for it. I would say. I mean that UNC Asheville game. I remember I asked him what was the biggest difference between that team and now, and he said the chemistry wasn't there during that game, which mm-hmm. I think implies that the chemistry here is a lot better than it was now. And I think it, you can see that through the performances we've seen. I mean, they beat Ole Miss. They could have beat Missouri if not for that dang buzzer beater. And they managed to outlast a, a very stubborn Stetson team, honestly, that were to just kind of kept them kept in the game. So I, I think this is a very, now that we've, I think we really learned a lot about this team over the course of non-conference. But I think that as we go into conference play, not only will they be tested more, but I think they'll be much more prepared than they've ever have been because now they actually are able to have spent a lot more time playing together. They seem to really have some roles down. Brandon Suggs yeah. you know, coming, off, coming off the bench real, really well, get really really specializing in that free throw. He nailed, nailed all those free throws last night. You had Taylor Hendricks, even though he went 7 of 20, from the floor, which is the second lowest shooting percentage of the of the season, he still went and got five assists. Look at Bryson ragging on the freshman. Oh my god! <laughs> hey, hey, Johnny Dawkins. The, the mark of a good player is that he finds ways to succeed, and that is what Taylor Hendricks did. I mean, he just he, he had all. Yeah, the- but find, find a way. If, if something's not there. working, yeah. If something's not, if one thing's not working, find something else that does work. And you're right, he did a double double for him. His third of the year. Um. He's won what three straight freshman of the week awards in the American? That's I thought it was four. I, Is I it could, four? I've yeah. lost count. It's <laughs> it almost was, like yeah. Can we just call it for the month? It was him. How about yeah, that? Yeah, yeah. It's got. It's kind of like you know, like McKenna Melville would win offensive player of the week and in, in volleyball. And it's like just name the award after. She's won it like twenty sometimes <laughs> in the course of her career. But anyway, um, all right. So uh, Wichita next Wednesday. Wichita State, by the way, six and five on the year. Uh, losses to Oklahoma State, Kansas State, Mizzou, and San Francisco, interestingly enough. And Alcorn State, they lost earlier in the year, too. Uh, <clears throat> wins over uh, the likes of Richmond. Tarleton State, who UCF also played. Um, they actually took Mizzou to overtime, interesting. Man, Mizzou is just like is, is like the bugaboo to, A- Sun, uh, to, uh, to A- AAC teams here. 
Um, and they have one more game just on uh, Thursday, the 22nd against uh, Texas Southern. If we want to scout ahead on ESPN plus before they come to UCF on Wednesday, the 28th, 7 PM is, is the start for uh, that game. All right. Uh, I wanted to flip over, talk uh, a little women's hoops uh, as well, before we uh, move on to talking about the bowl game and a break. Um, Two games for uh, Coach Tia Messer and her team. They're eight and three. They won them both back-to-back by double digits, uh, beat Idaho State by 17, beat uh, Elon, uh, not Musk, Elon by 18, uh, and uh, and snapped that that three-game losing streak that they had after playing uh, Auburn, Seton Hall, and Tennessee. Um, and they have one more non-conference game on the 29th. That's Thursday, next Thursday at 6 p.m. against Texas Southern at home before they start conference play actually after the first of the year. They're at SMU on Tuesday, January 3rd to start AAC play. But um, uh, Kyle, we were there for both of those games in the Christmas Classic. Uh, they look to have righted the ship, although sometimes, man, it, it, it looked a little uneven in both of those games. Like it's, it's, I, I, okay. Am I a little too used to the Coach Abe era here in saying these games were very chaotic uh, in how they kind of went down? You know, plenty of turnovers, some wild missed shots, but we still came out on top by double digits, right? So what am I complaining about? Well, let's not act like Coach Abe's squad didn't start slowing their own right in a number of games. How many times was the question to Abe uh, post-game, hey, uh, what can we do about slow starts? And she would respond, if you could tell me, I, I would like to know. Um, <laughs> so you know, I think it's kind of in that ilk. But the other thing I think you're used to there, uh, uh, um, I was about to call you Eric Lopez. We already have enough Eric Lopez. No, no, no. That's that's, that's 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 true, true that you're calling right. Eric Lopez. Uh, so. No, but yeah. um, no, but the, the thing I would say to you, Jeff, is you're also used to a group that's been relatively healthy last year and this group has not been that. During the tournament, you got two brand new faces. One, of course being um, Ashley Foster from Georgia State arriving in, uh, from Atlanta just, what, four days before this recording. So there's that. Yeah. And then um, also Nay Hutton returning to action after missing significant time with a preseason injury. And, buddy, let me tell you, that second game in the Christmas Classic, the first one she came out, had 11 minutes, did, you know, made her presence felt. Uh, it definitely showed some some toughness in that first game. But the second game, she only put up by three points, but nine rebounds, including at least two, where she where the ball gets loose and she's diving on that piece like Rodman. Oh, yeah. She owned the boards and, against and Elon. One, yeah. And then where she's jumping up against three other players and coming down with the board. Uh, it just it's very impressive. She wears she the hair she wears is kind of like a blonde. Uh, a ponytail coming out, but it looks more like a plume from a knight's helmet when she's there fighting underneath. And that's what that's what Satya Messer promised us. And we got it. So with her and Destiny combined down low, 20 rebounds in that game, not yeah. really a surprise um, going there too. And listen, this is a team that's asking a freshman to put in 32 minutes running the point. Sierra Godbolt doing her thing. Eight, uh, four steals, eight assists, and just having to lead this team finding veterans you know this is a we were talking about last year with the men's team jeff you know dj waving waving off um shikimbake jong on a play 
This is mm-hmm. the kind of stuff we're asking Godbolt to do on a, on a regular Wait, basis. I, I was talking about my buddy, uh, Jeremy Panagos, who um, uh, does marketing for UCF. And Jeremy was like, she's going to win Defensive Player of the Year award in, in the Big 12 before she's done, Sierra Godbolt. Like, he's convinced of it. And it's hard, and it, it's hard uh, to disagree with that because she, uh, defensively, like, Sierra's fantastic. And, and if we can talk about Desto for just a second. Sure. Tw- school record tying 24 rebounds last time out prior to the Christmas Classic. Seton Hall. She, yep, Seton Hall. 11 rebounds against Idaho State, 11 more against Elon. Desto, I played two of the best games I've ever seen her play. And even though she didn't score very well, she was only two of 10 from the field against Elon. She, I I thought she dominated the game defensively and on the glass. And also we got, I got to shout out Rachel Ranke because when nothing was working for UCF shooting wise, she was eight of 11, five of eight from three, 21 points and five rebounds for Rachel, who's just a sniper. Well, I, I mean, she was she was fantastic. Don't limit her game, Jeff. Remember, Coach Messer tells you about versatility, and I know it's 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 fun to talk about you know Rachel Ranky getting hot from three and having ten points in a single quarter. Four of those were in the paint, my friend. Uh, uh, posting up, by the way, Rachel is a versatile player on offense to say the least, and the fact that even at her size and, and you know height wise and she's able to find a way to kind of sneak into a spot to get open. And then Sierra is a freshman spotting it. This is that chemistry they've been building. This is the versatility we're talking about. Destiny Thomas is a complete athlete. Now, Jeff, yeah. the way she's getting steals steals as a center is insane. You, you mentioned uh, the first game in the Christmas classic there, uh, not against Elon, but against, um, Oh, Uh, Idaho State. Thank you. Idaho State. I was thinking ISU, but I couldn't put it together. Idaho State. There was a ball uh, on a full court press. They were trying to sling it out and trying to get out of the backcourt. And here comes here comes Destiny Thomas. Ironically, on the same day, the football team announces Addison Williams, the promotion from the defensive pack coach to defensive coordinator. She's Mm -hmm. picking off a ball looking like a defensive back in her own right. She's stealing passes by coming from behind a post player and zipping in front to pick the ball off. This is stuff we haven't seen from Destiny Thomas before. And I asked both Layla Jewett and Coach Messer if this is something you've seen in practice and we fans are late because it's just not happening in games. They both agreed, no, this is new. This is Destiny fitting a new role, coming out of that true center mold and and being more power forward like and and you know, gosh, the only thing I, I think you don't ask her to do right now is shoot threes and not that she needs to with this group. So just so much versatility from Destiny Thomas. She definitely has had more double doubles at home uh, than she hasn't. So if you look at nine points and feel disappointed, remember, she's at a high bar, folks. Like, you know. All right. So there we are with eight and three. Nine, they're trying to get to nine and three, just like the men's team, by the way, mm-hmm. uh, with Texas Southern coming up after Christmas. Um, how do we feel? Last bit on women's basketball. How do we feel about them heading into as we get ready to again? Not quite conference play just yet, but after the holiday, now we're going to gear up for this. Are they? Are, are we right where we want to be? 
I'm still worried about those injuries. Look like the walking wounded out there. And some, you know, as, as some players were, well, I thought I saw what was Ashton, Ashton Verholz is hurt as a boot. Yeah. Uh, and then, uh, who else did I say? Was it Asia Todd still hurt? Yes. Um, you know, it's, it's kind of rough out there and it's, it's, I mean, injuries are, are the, are, are the great wild card as we know, you know, so I'm glad you, how do we feel? Yeah. I'm glad you mentioned wild card, Jeff, because here's the thing, the, 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 the performance thus far with a limited group where you have a fresh two freshmen regularly in the starting lineup, right? Godbolt and uh, Brianna Hardy, who's been doing great in her own right. You know, Bree's been great. Yeah, they're they're coming out and and doing what they did. Only three losses so far, and hanging with Tennessee as long as they did. Short some of it. If they have Nay Hutton in that game, I can't imagine how different it would have been, right? Because they were in it for the first uh, three quarters or two and a half, if you want to call it that. And then you know Tennessee just kind of blew the game open. But if Nay were present with that presence, I can only imagine what would have happened. And, and, you know, I, I say that building on what coach said, if we had some of the players that we were missing, those three losses would have been different games, right? Auburn, Seton hall and Tennessee, all, fan, all fantastic basketball teams. And then on top of that coach was visibly excited when I asked her about things moving forward, just having full bodies to practice a full complement of bodies to practice with the fact that they can develop this way. She's excited about it. Um, both the players were excited about it. Um, Rachel and Nay Hutton, who I spoke to yesterday, and and they're excited to see Sierra Godbold get involved the way she's doing, showing early maturity uh, on top of all that. You know, she she mentioned building, uh, Sierra mentioned building chemistry as a freshman is something that they got through, but they just, you know, they hang out together so much and, and the way this group's gotten close off the court has been a big part of the success is the feeling I get. And it's a whole new season conference play from the ladies perspective and they're all excited to be able to find that other gear with people getting back to health and things starting to really lock in in practice all right so we wait for their game against texas southern on the 29th we wait for the men's game against wichita on the 28th as we uh we'll gear it back up and and by the way we got the bowl game on the 28th which is by the way we're going to talk about next when we return here on the black and gold banner podcast we're joined by our compatriots from the Duke Basketball Report. Don't let that name fool you. Uh, to preview the military bowl, UCF against Duke. And then after that, uh, we got some MLS drafts. No, not draft. Super draft news. Uh, talk about McKenna Melville. Yet another award to cap off her amazing UCF career. And I will ask Bryson and Kyle what UCF would want for Christmas from Santa Claus this year. Stick around. We come back. This is Black and Gold Banner Podcast. Welcome back to the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. Jeff and Kyle back with you here. And of course, we're going to preview the military bowl in Annapolis. It's UCF against Duke. And joining us now, a couple guys from our Duke sister site on SB Nation, Duke Basketball Report. They cover football for a basketball site that's that's true and i'm sure they get a lot of crap for it too jason evans and donald wine from duke basketball report joining us here on the black and gold banner as to preview uh, black and gold banner podcast to preview ucf and duke how are you guys doing well doing, uh doing yeah great. you're right we're we're a, we're a basketball 
mostly basketball focused, but you know what? Before basketball season starts, there is some football and we pay a lot of attention to it. We like well, to say that we're multifaceted. Hmm. Well, yeah. Okay. I'm glad we share that because we do too. But, um, you know, far, oh, listen, we, we all know here in the state of Florida, this being the, this being the home state of one Steve Spurrier that, you know, we are overly familiar at maybe a little bit more than we want to be with the history of Duke football and how absolutely miserable it mostly has been for years. But of late, the Blue Devils program has been pretty good. David Cutcliffe had a nice little run. And here you are with your first year head coach, Mike Elko, at eight and four, uh, finished second in the coastal. Um, rest in peace, the ACC coastal division and all the and 18 years of absolute chaos that it's given us. <laughs> Uh, but it. give us, you are uh, really well versed. You, you, yeah, know, I, you know, this hey, stuff, man, look, this is hey, this we, we, it, Florida's a football state. What can I say? Just like Carolina's a basketball state, but, uh, Jason, I'll start with you. Um, Duke football this year. How did, how has this year played out for the blue devils and in the overall direction of the program? How have you seen this era sort of start? and and move forward well i'll tell you this if you find a duke football fan someone who follows the program who says to you oh yeah i I saw an eight and four season coming they're lying no (laughs) one i mean no one saw this coming it 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 is a great tribute to mike elko and his staff that they were able to pull this off in their first season you were right when you talked about duke's duke's history duke had a nice run under under David Cutcliffe, we had several years where we were very good um, and and really contending for uh, ACC Coastal Division crowns. But but the past, I don't know, I haven't looked exactly. I'd say like four years or so have have not been good for Duke. And last year, this team was pretty much non-competitive in ACC games. And by that, I mean routinely losing, not just by double digits, but 20 plus points. Mike Elko brought back mostly other than a couple of very, very small changes, the same team that was non-competitive last year. And not only did they go eight and four, but like the games that they lost, they could have won. I'm not going to bore your audience with it, but there are several of these. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, There are several of these games. Not only are one possession games, games that go to overtime games that are decided in the final minute or two where look with one little break here or there, I'm not kidding with you. This team could easily be 10 and two. And, and it is a, again, a huge tribute to, to the, the, the confidence that Mike Elko and his staff brought to this team. And then the other thing it's a huge tribute to is the development of Riley Leonard at quarterback, because he, he's the best quarterback Duke's had in, in a couple of seasons for sure. Uh, Donald can talk more about it. Yeah. I think for me, the, the surprise was in, and we talked about the team before the season started and the word out of the camp, was that the team just wanted to be competitive. And for Duke fans, we were like, hey, as Jason said, we were very not competitive the year before. And in previous years, that competitiveness had gone down. So yeah, being competitive, you know, maybe going for six wins and and hopefully making a bowl game, squeaking one out would be great. I think what has come about this program is these guys bought into Mike Elko's philosophy and his system from day one. And it showed in their approach to this game. As Jason mentioned, you know, the Kansas game is the game that we lost the most by, and that was a one possession ball game all the way down to the end. 
everyone else was either by two points or by three points in overtime or on the last second field goal. So these guys were in every single game to the very end. They were, there was no quit out of this team. And I think because of the the confidence that they gained from even these losses, they were able to use that. And really, I mean, in some of these games, they really took it to the, their opponents to the woodshed. So uh, we're super happy about how this season turned out. And we're super happy about, you know, just the trajectory of what this program is going to look like under Mike Elko, not just on the field, but we were just talking on our, on our show yesterday about the fact that recruiting has gone up, you know, all of these little things, the the winning part is bringing fans back is bringing more confidence to the program and is making recruits say, Hey, I can win in Durham. You know, it's, it's the thing. The only, the only way I would really fault Duke season so far, guys, is the two losses you do have in conference. I know you feel like you probably should have had them. My only complaint about that is now I have to watch the Seminoles over here in the bowl game of the season <laughs> instead. So that, I mean, really that's the only problem I have with you guys, if I'm being honest about it. Now, joking aside, you know, I'm looking at, you know, looking at Riley Leonard's numbers, um, throws the ball relatively well, leading rusher in yardage, and and if there's anything to his game that you feel like might need work, what would you guys point out? Because I know UCF at large has a lot to say about their quarterback situation, but um, uh, what, what's kind of the scuttlebutt around, around Leonard as a quarterback? I think for me, the if there's a flaw in his game, it's in those those tweener yards. And I think when I talk about between 18 and, and, and 20 yard throws, usually you see those outs where you need like a third and long those have been the throws that he's been struggling with the most if there is a, you know, a, a detriment to his game. But I think the other thing that he makes up for is the fact that, yes, he can put the ball on the ground and run. And I, we, we've seen that from our quarterbacks over the years, but mainly they haven't been a pass first quarterback. They've kind of been a run first quarterback that can also throw the ball. This is the man who can throw the ball downfield, and we've seen him take some shots down the field. But for the most part, he's doing five, 10 yards, and he's making sure that the chains are moved. And if we need a long situation, we have a running back by committee of which he's kind of been emerged as the leader of that group to get those yards on the ground. And I think that's kind of where, uh, where he's been great. And I think also the fact is his wide receivers are really good at yards after the catch. That's where we've really excelled, where we've getting guys, get them in open space and they can see what they can do. I'll tell you the thing that I noticed about Leonard this year, he's just a sophomore and he really did not play very much last year at all. The the amount of maturity he's shown and the decision-making that he's shown has really been surprising for a guy with his experience. He only had six interceptions all year. Uh, he, he doesn't fumble the ball very much. Uh, you mentioned his running, and I, I want people to understand, lots of time you hear about a running quarterback and you think of someone who is really, really fast. Um, Riley Leonard has decent speed, but what he really excels at in running is he picks his lanes, he picks the right angles, uh, he's six four, about two hundred and fifteen pounds or so. So he's he's a load. You know he, you know he's capable of of shouldering up some guy and and going through him a little bit. Uh, that's what Leonard has done really really well from a running standpoint. It's not one of these super quick, super fast guys who gets on the edge uh, around you. He drops back and then he goes through the holes in the middle of the line and he and he gets through them very quickly and then makes smart smart decisions. And I'm glad Donald mentioned the wide receivers. One of the things about this Duke team that really, really surprised me as the season went on, we probably had at least four different guys who had games where they caught 10 passes or, or 100, you know, 120, 150 plus 
yards receiving. It's real easy to look at it and go, oh, you know, a lot of teams you go, oh, this is the one guy you need to stop. That is not the case for for the Duke football team. Riley Leonard sort of each game will, will pick a guy that he's like, that's the one who's going to get open. And, and he just fires that guy again and again. And one of the more interesting ones is Jordan Moore, who who was a quarterback originally. He, he and Riley Leonard were battling for the quarterback position in the preseason. And when Riley Leonard won the job, they said, well, this Jordan Moore guy is such a great athlete. Let's see what he can do at wide receiver. And man, he really blossomed. There are several games where he just had amazing catches for someone who's never played wide receiver before. And you know, guys, you, the way you're talking about like Riley Leonard, sorry, Kyle. Yeah. Kind of reminds me of another guy who played at Duke, who's the quarterback of my favorite professional football team, Daniel Jones, a big guy who made any dimes, but can run. Yeah. Danny dimes. Yep. Go ahead, Kyle. Not many Giants fans admit to Danny Dimes being their favorite player, but hey, you could be the first guy, Jeff. That's well, cool. I mean, not my we will favorite take it. player, but my, maybe my favorite Duke player. I okay. mean, we'll go with that. Uh, I could right. go with that because uh, we all know it should be Saquon in your case. I digress. We're focused on the wrong blue there. Let me get back to play, guys. <laughs> you know, I, I want to touch really quick, too, on, on this concept, Jason, of the running quarterback, and people get scared. The fact that Mike Elko doesn't, I have to tell you, and this is something I've been saying on, on this and other pods for a while now is if your quarterback can't run, they are a relic in all levels of football. So the fact that coach Elko acknowledges that just the same as a guy who's been doing it for what is it? Nine or 10 years now that Gus has been at it, Jeff, if you could recognize it like a Gus Malzahn can, that's a good sign. If you could turn players into guys who can find space with a guy who might be run first, but can still get the job done. That's a good sign. That's not only life in college gentlemen, but that's the NFL and it's going all places. So these days of the running, uh, running, aspect of a quarterback being a potential detriment or bad PR on them. That going away is an observation I want to see in a young coach moving forward. So I'll give you that. I think when it comes to, uh, and I can, we're we're in a basketball podcast, so I can say this, you know, in basketball, you have what's called, you want guys to be in a triple threat position where they can run or they can pass, they can shoot, they can do three things, right? On the football field or quarterback, if they can throw the ball medium range, if they can throw the ball way downfield and they can also run, as a defense, you have to plan for all three because even if you you know collapse the pocket, you didn't have to worry about, oh, man, this guy, if he gets away from me, there's 10 yards of open space that he can do something with the football. So I think that's the great thing. And, and with this, with our philosophy, Mike Elko basically said, I want to see a guy emerge. And he was giving everybody an opportunity to step up to the plate and have that opportunity. And all of them took advantage of it. So at the end of the day, he's like, well, I got to keep giving the ball to all of these, you know, guys that are doing well. And again, like Jason said, on any given week, one guy steps up to the plate while the other guys kind of, you know, help, help out around, around the table, but everybody's eating. Hey, there's been other ACC quarterbacks that have played basketball too. I'll allow it. Yeah, <laughs> as a as a also as a resident Syracuse graduate with Greg Paulus, you know, guy who oh, played yeah. point guard guy. and then played <laughs> and then played quarterback for Syracuse after his basketball career was over. Uh, yeah, let wait, me ask you, Donald had a was it you, Donald, that had the amazing stat about Greg Paulus? Greg Paulus has the greatest stat in college sports history. I need this. He is the only player to to date. He is the only player to lead a conference in turnovers in two consecutive years in two different sports. <laughs> you know, I, I love that. One. You know, I love that. That is totally on brand. <laughs> totally on brand. Uh, we're here with Donald Wine and Chase and Evans from the Duke basketball report talking Duke football. Uh, 
let me ask you about the defensive side of the ball too. And, and I guess Don, I'll start with you here uh, because Mike Elko is a defensive guy, coached the defense at A&M, Notre Dame, Wake Forest prior to that, Bowling Green prior to that. Um, and, you, you know, you're not in these kinds of games like you were talking about unless your defense is really strong. This year, um, defensively for Duke, you know, they're, they're one of the best teams in the country in, in defending against the run, 24th in the country. UCF, obviously, one of the best teams in the country at running the football, top 10 nationally coming in. So if you're trying to attack Duke's defense, Don, what are you doing? That's a great question because I think the one thing, there's two things that I think our defense has improved on markedly from last year. One is, again, against the run, swarming the football and also taking the ball away from the offense. There, We could not do a turnover to save our lives last year. And this year, our turnover margin is like plus 24 or something like it's something is something astronomical compared Second to where we were. The country, yeah. Yeah. And, and so the fact is he's philosophizing to get everybody, 11 people on the football and, and taking care of business. I think the one thing that we didn't have this year that we, or that we kind of have seen in previous years was kind of a triple threat kind of uh, decoy options where you guys have, you know, one guy going another way on a naked bootleg or something like that. Those are things where it'll trip up an offense, especially or a defense that is going to swarm the football. If they all think the football is going one way, you need to figure out a way to fake it and go the other way. And I think that's what we didn't see a lot of. And again, to our credit, we were able to kind of get on the quarterback and, and strip strip balls or also get two wide receivers and cover them. But I think the big play is still where we kind of, uh, it's almost like clockwork. We give up a big play every game. And in our mind, it's whether that's going to cost us the football game or if it's going to affect the football game in a negative way. The deep balls are going to be probably where UCF or any you know offense is really going to get their shots, their opportunities to make something happen. Because as you guys know, a big play only breeds confidence in an offense and that will help with some of the other plays that you guys do, whether they be short or medium down the field. So I think that's where, you know, if, if we're, if you're going to attack a defense, you're obviously not going to do, you know, deep route, hot routes, you know, every single play, but picking your opportunities to do so, you know, that's where something might happen. I feel like this Duke defense is better in better in the defensive backfield than it is at the line. Um, They're not, they're not terrible at the line. But but the better players in this defense are, are guys like linebacker Shaka Hayward and defensive backs Darius Joyner and Jalen Stinson. Th- those are, to, to a large extent, the stars of this defense. If it has stars, it's not really a – it's not a defense built around guys who necessarily are going to be playing, you know, for many years on Sundays. But, but uh, th- their strength, I think, is in not giving up not giving up both the big play and and those sort of medium sized passing plays. They're 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 really good at that kind of stuff. They they you know teams don't tend to to pound them too bad. Um, for the most part, you know Duke's a team that's they don't give up thirty plus points all that often. Uh, so uh, they, they're they're not the best defense around, but they're a good bend but don't break kind of defense and. I think Mike Elko is slowly instilling more and more of his identity onto the D and, and that's a big deal. Cause he, he is a guy, as you noted, that is uh, an out has an outstanding reputation as a defensive coach. 
So I was, I was going to be asking about the defense anyway when it comes to the front and stopping the run because it's natural to this game, fellas. But for, for me, I'm hearing the defensive front isn't as strong as, as the defensive backs. I'm finding that interesting, and I thanks for that thank you for that education. But I'm hearing big play, and then the defensive front isn't the strong side. When you hear about UCF quarterback John Rice Plumley and the threat he brings – that's I'm seeing nuts. That's kind of a worry then because because he's kind of that lottery ticket guy. I can be critical of the offensive line all I'd like. You know, there's my offensive line credentials as I have my painting behind me. But the, the whole piece of, of that where that battle is going to be essential. You got a top run defense versus a top run offense. That's going to be central. We knew that going in, if you know anything about football. But what what concerns, what fears need to be allayed with John Rice Plumley? Is he somebody that uh Lump jumps off the page when you look. I mean, certainly Duke has had some trouble this season who are better athletes. I mean, we, you know, our first loss to Kansas, we were, we were dominated by, by a very, very good, very mobile quarterback. Uh, the game we lost to North Carolina and, and the game we lost to Georgia tech, their quarterbacks had big days against us. And, and those big days were both in the air and on the ground. So, so it's absolutely something that you have to be concerned with uh, if, if you're Duke. I, I do like Mike Elko having plenty of time to prepare for this game. Uh, he, he I, I mean, all you need to do is, again, look at what this Duke team was a year ago and look at what they are now to know that this guy has a great football mind. And I think the more time he's given – the better it is for the Blue Devils. I don't mean that as an insult to Gus Malzahn, who is someone who also has a you know a great reputation. But but Mike Elko, you know, I think maybe next level. Look, as a Duke fan, I, I'm I'm scared. I'm worried about how long we can keep the guy. <laughs> I think the big the big teams may come calling for him at some point fairly soon. And and I again, I, I just really like him having plenty of time to scheme how to stop the UCF attack. What does that sound like a familiar thing around here? Doesn't it, Kyle? Man, I hope we can keep these coaches. Uh, I want to talk. They're not even changing conferences yet. man. I know. Right. What's up with that? (laughs) Uh, I want to pull a little historical threads here with you guys. Of course, you guys love to talk basketball. I mean, Duke is synonymous with basketball, obviously. Um, Our two programs had quite a game three years ago that we still look at as uh, you know what? A, a phenomenal game with an absolutely horrendously heartbreaking ending. Um, Johnny Dawkins, of course, you guys know and love is our head uh-huh. coach. Aubrey Dawkins played absolutely for us two great years. Um, you know, I'm I'm on Johnny Dawkins Island here. I I, I I'm I'm a I've always been a tremendous fan of him at UCF. I think he brings a lot of intangibles um, to to the program that. Uh, maybe we didn't have before in terms of gaining national attention. And also, I think he's I think he's actually shown himself to be an outstanding recruiter and evaluator of talent, too. And so far this year, I think that's proven to be true. We're at nine and three right now. Just one last night before in our last game before non-conference play. A um, couple things along the basketball lines. As a as Duke fans and as people who cover Duke. You know, tell us about what you know, your uh, your opinions of Johnny Dawkins as a coach, because of course he was an assistant there before he went to Stanford uh, and the job that, you know, Duke fans perceive he's doing at UCF. And then also, you know, the, and, and if you can, like, you know, take us back to that game in 2019 when UCF, you know, came 
this close. A taco fall still hanging on the rim. A taco fall tiptoe. Yeah. And every time I see Aubrey tip that ball back, I'm thinking it's going to go in this time. I've seen it in every replay. I don't know how that ball didn't go in. Anyway, I'll, but, I'll, I'll let, please take it from there. <laughs> before Jason, before Jason starts the whole, like replaying a game to see that it ends the same way uh, in the 2010 national championship game. Obviously everyone knows the uh, Gordon Hayward half court shot. That yeah. Just banked and just missed. They used to play that on a loop in our Duke bookstore. And every single time it got to that point, the entire bookstore, no matter who was in there, no matter how many times you see the game, everybody would stop to make sure that that ball did not go in. And we still won the national championship. So I, I, I feel you. I tell you. Unbelievable. Anyway, Jason. So I was going to say, uh, I, I probably have a closer relationship with Johnny Dawkins than a lot of folks because I was in school with him. Uh, we weren't in class together or anything like that. He was a senior when I was a freshman, but that's my age. <laughs> that I, I remember watching Johnny Dawkins uh, play on on that amazing 1986 team, my freshman year, 1986, that that I still think is you know, up there is one of the, I don't know, five or so best teams to not win a national title. Um, and I, I could talk endlessly about how y- you want to talk about how much that loss hurt, man, that loss to Louisville in the national yeah. championship game. I, I'm not sure I'll ever get over that one, <laughs> yeah. but now you guys have I, him in the conference with you. So yeah, right, right. <laughs> I think Johnny brings a tremendous amount of integrity to the job. And that that is the job of being a college basketball coach. And that is something that is in pretty short supply these days. I know that fans care about wins and and they care about recruiting and all these other kind of things that you can that are tangible. But I just have unbelievable respect for Johnny Dawkins. I think he's incredibly smart about the sport and the game. And he'll you'll never be in trouble or disappointed in something that he has done. You know, is that enough? Uh, there's probably some fans out there who say, no, no, wins are all that matter. You know, getting to the NCAA tournament, winning in the NCAA tournament, winning conference titles, that's all that matters. And, you know, look, I'm I'm at Duke, so it's hard for me to, uh, <laughs> we, we have been unbelievably blessed throughout my college basketball. My, that, that year, I'm talking about 1986, we made the final four. We, we then proceeded to make, is it nine of the next 11 final four? Something absurd like that? Something crazy, yeah. Yeah. I mean, the number and and over my, you know, if you say that my lifetime as a Duke basketball fan really started with that, with with me attending Duke in 1986, I've got five. I got five fingers. I got five national title rings. I mean, we have been as blessed as anyone. So for me to say, oh, don't worry about wins as much. But but I think whether he wins or not, Johnny Dawkins is the kind of person you want running your program. And I'll add that, at least from a Duke perspective, I mean, like you said, Giant Dawkins graduated in 1986, and he is still one of the most beloved Duke players, Duke people in history. Uh, whenever he comes back, he gets warm ovations. He was an assistant coach when I was in school. Uh, so everyone, everyone from, again, from 1986 to today really understands what Johnny Dawkins means to the Duke program. He, along with that class of 86, literally helped launch Duke to what it is. And and we still look back at that 86 team as the team that started this juggernaut that we've had over the last 34 years, you know, 30, 40 years that we've been blessed to have. So, you know, Johnny, everywhere he goes, it doesn't matter, you know, when he was at Stanford, now he's at UCF, people still look in and watch 
his games and 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 wish for success for him along with the rest of of the coach k tree right you know we are people that when they go they're going to represent us at that school in a way so uh you know and, and he and all of them kind of bring their own flavor to their programs but yeah it's been great to kind of watch how he's built ucf over the years and some of the guys that have gone through your program again like taco fall that people can again he, they have the qualities of Johnny Dawkins. They're beloved players that you can kind of endear yourself to. And when you're running in the NCAA tournament, yeah, if 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 we were neutrals in that game, I'd be pulling for Taco Fall too because that's how great a player and how great a person he he is. You know, Jeff, you asked about that 2019 game. I do want to go back and and address that. That that team is really frustrating, I think, for Duke fans because we see how great Zion Williamson is. We see, you know, the the amount of talent that was on that club and the fact that they didn't make a Final Four and didn't win a national title is is almost unconscionable. I, I'm, and to be clear, I, I'm not blaming Coach K for it, not, not for a second. It, it's the vagaries of the one-and-done tournament. But, man, I mean, if they had gone out and I, I know they could have lost, they absolutely could have lost that game to UCF. I mean, of course they could have. As we've said, that ball's yeah. hanging on the rim even today. And if there's a whisper of a butterfly wing, <laughs> it could knock it in as opposed to it, it falling off. I, that, I still. When, when you look at what Zion Williamson has become, like right now in the NCAA, in the NBA, I should say, where arguably I think over the past month, he's probably been maybe the best player in, in the entire league. Uh, RJ Barrett is it is playing outstanding basketball for the New York Knicks that 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 team had a crazy amount of talent and the fact that they didn't make a final four the fact that they almost lost in the sweet 16 to UCF is it's kind of crazy uh, i know it's painful for you guys cuz that probably felt like that was going to be a magical season between Aubrey and and Taco you guys had a couple guys that uh, you know i'm sure you enjoy following uh, you know in their pro careers and everything else that they're that's going on with them uh it, it's hard basketball's hard that one and done tournament is really yeah it's unforgiving <laughs> yeah i think i think it gave us a, a glimpse into what could happen you know in the future with ucf basketball too and you know things have kind of come back down from that high of having you know like you mentioned aubrey dawkins taco fall and bj taylor too who was our point guard who was just a um who's just outstanding although you know this year it seems like you know ap- after COVID kind of threw a wrench into things for UCF and it feels like this year things are starting to pick back up a lot of new faces from, you know, this year to next. I think we only had what pal three guys actually with any playing time return from last year. Um, but that's even without accounting for DJ and CJ missing. Yeah. So, um, but we start conference play against Wichita in one week and we'll see what happens from there. I guess, when you uh, good luck against last... Houston, by the way, you guys got Houston coming up in like a week, yeah, right? We do, yeah, right. <laughs> That's yeah, a big we deal. Warm up with Wichita, getting getting ready for Kelvin Sampson and the Cougs. Uh, yeah, my I'll last really down to Memphis after that too, guys. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, we talk about that, but you know, Murderers Row this year, but we're getting ready to head mm-hmm. into a Murderers Row in the Big Twelve. And I want, and oh boy, <laughs> yeah. Well, fans talk all the time about how excited we are for Big Twelve football, but give a, you know, you guys follow not just Duke, but college basketball in general. Um, my last question for you is: give us an idea of what we're, uh, of what Johnny and UCF's program are staring at right now as they move into the Big Twelve, because obviously this is a great, this is a great conference for basketball. I think it's 
underrated for basketball, believe it or not. Uh, you know, even with Texas and Oklahoma leaving, you're gaining Cincinnati, whom we're familiar with. You're gaining Houston, whom we're familiar with. You're gaining BYU, who has carved out a pretty nice little niche for themselves, plus everybody else. So how steep is this climb going to be for UCF basketball heading into the Big 12? I think that the problem that Johnny Dawkins is going to face is that the the recruiting is going to have to to go to the next level. And and being in the Big 12 will help with that, but just having the the kind of athletes look you're going to be playing Baylor. You're going to be playing West Virginia. You're going to be playing Texas Tech. Th- those are those are programs and and look Kansas. I could go through the Oklahoma <laughs> I could go on and on. The Big 12 has for several years in my opinion been the best conference in college basketball. But th- those are programs that that bring in really elite basketball players, guys who are guys who are expected to play. You know, we talk in in college football about playing on Sundays. Guys who are expected to play in the NBA, and uh, you know, UCF hasn't really had that kind of level of talent on their team. So that's the thing that has to be stepped up. It, probably the first couple of years are going to be going to be rough. They may be really tough especially because, you know, admittedly losing Kansas and Texas is a blessing, I guess, but bringing in Houston, I mean, that program's arguably as good as any program in the country right now. So it, it's going to be very, very difficult. There can be some growing pains, but merely being in a conference that's that significant, that is on TV that much, where you're playing truly, you know, elite programs that have big followings every week, twice a week, is going to help your recruiting and help your program to elevate. I think what's going to really be the key to at least not, you know, this trajectory being always up as you enter the big 12 is how do you recruit in Texas? Because in the big 12 Mm -hmm. recruiting in Texas, is just, there's so many athletes in both football and basketball. There's so many schools who have, you know, ties to that, you know, in the sense, if you think about it, you're going to have, you're going to be competing with big 12 teams. You're going to be competing with SEC. You're going to be competing with the, you know, conference USA. And then you're just going to be competing with like anyone else who just wants to shop around in Texas. I think that is going to be the key at the end of the day on the basketball front, everyone's looking up at Kansas right now. um, and, And that's, kind of the standard because if you think about it there's been teams that have been good throughout the years but everyone i mean kansas has always been the top i mean they went they just, i think they just recently ended a streak of like 15 years in a row where they won the big 12 and that was with texas being good at times baylor being winning a national championship you know those sort of things yeah. kansas was always there so there's going to be your gold standard but i think recruiting in texas is going to be the key uh, because there's just so many great athletes in that in the state I'm, I'm sitting here right now there's so many great athletes here that everyone you can you don't have to get the the top you know four or five in the state you can still recruit some of these guys and be really really good at the big 12 wow uh, well uh, you know one of the things that we're gonna have to deal with in the next in the next year or two or five coming up like you know, watch out for, I, I will say, you know, you mentioned talking about NBA talent. I think we have one guy right now who really is at that level in Taylor Hendricks, right. or at least will be in the next coming years. And hopefully he's the first of many that we see coming along. Huge thanks, Jason Evans, Donald Wine. From hey, hey, hey Jeff, Jeff yes. I, I will say it's a good problem to have. The right. fact that you guys are moving to the Big 12, you're way better off than the teams you're leaving behind. Way you know, better. That off. we know. Yeah, the there's, there's school the about 100 miles from here who were like, ah, 
it's it's sucks for you not gonna lie uh (laughs) but you know it's it's almost as intense as you guys in carolina i'm not gonna lie so i'll just hey central florida i I went to school in miami and a lot of people would always ask oh miami is right by usf and i go no that's five hours away just like ucf is (laughs) i know i know that's what i keep you know it's it's a branding problem for them it's too bad anyway uh such a shame. Jason, Donald, uh, how can we, uh, as UCF fans, follow your work uh, covering not just Duke football, but Duke basketball as well? Well, you can always check us out on, on Twitter. At DBRSBN is the Duke Basketball Report Twitter handle. And if you merely search, if you search for Duke Basketball Podcast or Duke Basketball Report, you will find our podcast. We are we are quite proud of the fact that the Duke Basketball Report podcast is the number one college basketball podcast on the entire SBN uh, network of podcasts. In fact, um, you know, with the exception of during football season, we we are we are consistently the number one college sports podcast on SBN. So we we feel very lucky to be able to just talk about Duke sports all the time and. Uh, get paid pennies to do it. (laughs) (laughs) And more importantly, that people actually listen. Um, Yeah. Still, still a wild concept for us. I'm with you. I'm with you. Sometimes you put this down and we're like, I wonder how people can, you know, but yeah, they do listen guys. Thank you so much for your time and your insight. Two o'clock, December 28th at Navy Marine Corps Memorial stadium in Annapolis, UCF against Duke. Duke is a three point favorite, which means that, well, actually it is on a neutral site. So you guys would be a six point favorite if it was at home probably be a pick if it was here in Orlando guys enjoy it enjoy the game we appreciate it we'll talk to you soon all right thanks a lot for having us all right Jason. I'd say good luck but I'd say good luck but no yeah Jason <laughs> Evans and Donald White for the Duke Basketball Report thanks guys we'll be back in just a moment this is Black and Gold Banneret Podcast we are back here on the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast Jeff Kyle and Bryson with you our last show before the holiday. We've got a couple uh, gifts to pass around here. Uh, over on UCF Volleyball, yes, more volleyball news. Uh, by the way, Texas won the national championship, but, uh, the, uh, but the history from the UCF perspective, McKenna Melville, AVCA first team All-American, first player in program history to be a first team All-American. She's been honorable mention, third time. It's her fifth year in a row with honorable with at least an honorable mention, but to be first team, what a way to cap off her career. Uh, we have a tremendous feature on black and gold on her right now. So we want to congratulate McKenna um, on that and sort of just put the last word on her amazing UCF career where she finishes eighth all time in NCAA division one history and kills second all time in the, in the 25 point rally scoring era. Uh, obviously first all time at UCF congrats to McKenna. What an amazing honor um that was for her and for the team uh just a a model student athlete i mean there's really no other way um we can say it and we're really it's it's been an honor watching her for five years um men's soccer news gino vivi uh picked by the la galaxy 23rd overall first round pick gino going to la um He's not the only UCF player. I think they're playing. I, 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 forgive me if I'm I, correct me if I'm wrong here, Bryson. But I think Cal Jennings is still with LAFC. Is that right? I have to double check. But um, 
but congrats to Gino. He goes to the, uh, to the galaxy. Uh, and, uh, wow. I mean, he's, uh, first round pick. I don't know if we were expecting him to be a first round pick Bryson, but, uh, but he got the job, but he, it, it, it's still a tremendous honor for another UCF player to get drafted into MLS. And by the way, Cal Jennings, uh, is with LAF was with LAFC last year, got loaned out to Las Vegas lights, which is their UF USL team. Um, but Hey, congrats to Gino, another key UCF player, uh, getting drafted to MLS Bryson. Yes. A fifth, he is the fifth first round pick in program, in program history there. And congratulations to him, but it'll be very interesting to see how the UCF men's soccer team is going to respond uh, without him because he was just very versatile in the way he was able to score. He managed to make the top 10 all time in program history and points. Austin David and uh, the ESPN plus play by play announcer for the team. And I talked about that, about Gino and what the losing him could potentially do for the team going forward, as well as a bunch of other stuff about UCF men's soccer. Uh, you can watch our video on the Black and Gold Banner at YouTube channel, and you can also w- read my additional thoughts about UCF men's soccer season on blackandgoldbanner.com. Kyle? Yep. Uh, we've got uh, – all right, so that'll take us to, as we finish up here on the Black and Gold Banner podcast prior to the Christmas holiday, I want to ask these two guys right here, Bryson Turner, Kyle Nash. If you're UCF, what's on your Christmas list for 2023? What do you guys want? What do we, what, what does UCF want here, you know, going for, and not just for next year, but maybe long-term, like if you're putting together the Christmas list, Santa, what would we like as night fans? Kyle, I want to start with you. You mean, this may sound really boring, but any form of cash gift cards you could give this program is a good idea <laughs> for all the investment, all the infrastructure, all the extra stuff that they're going to need jumping into the big 12, bring all the cash. Just, I don't care. Skip the Christmas card. If you want, just hand, hand me the revenue, man. Like that is definitely something that this group would need for Christmas. It would make great use of. It's one of those things where, what do you want for Christmas? Oh, I need so much. Listen, just give me a great card. I'll figure it out. That'll totally work for UCF's Christmas this year. Well, oh, well, let me ask you this. What would you spend that gift card on? Um, there's there. I would first and first, first thing, first thing you would spend it on. First thing. Where are you going? Target. You going to, you know, are you going to, are you hopping on Amazon? Are you, are you, are you going to, you know, I would say home B&H Depot. photo. What are you doing? I would say home Depot so they could get supplies to build the new, uh, uh, the new, facilities for basketball <laughs> okay all right all right how about you bryson uh I, all i want for christmas is a new oc I, <laughs> oh I, wow I, I am i am he learneth ready. well i am ready i look listen the the buzz around this new offensive coordinator from what i from what we're kind of getting at is that it could be more of a play caller than it had than it has been in the past, and I think that if Gus is going to kind of you know ha- release a little bit of control on that, then this offensive coordinator hire is going to be a lot bigger than I think the two previous offensive coordinators we've had before this with GJ Kinney and Chip Lindsay. So whatever decision they make is going to be very key. And so I, the big thing for me for that I want for Christmas is I want a new OC that it that 
it can really take those play calling reins and give a dimension to the offense that still has that Gus flavor, but it is still, you know, what's the word? I guess is able to be a lot more consistent, I guess, like wide receiver, all that type of stuff. Well, so I, I, I think we're talking about to, ex- to extend the food metaphor, because this is the holidays, you know, Gus is, Gus is, he's the executive chef who works on the line with the line cooks. But I think it's, you know, I think that Gus may be leaning in the direction of, you know, I'm going to be more of an administrator, executive chef here. I'm going to hire me a headline cook. Yeah. Right. Yeah, I think that's a, that's actually a good. Yeah, that's actually a really good way to put it. So that that's more uh, that's more immediate. Um, so we'll see how that. So we'll see how that goes. You can all you can look at our offensive coordinator list on the black and gold banneret dot com. Well, there you go. Mm-hmm. So and a bunch of different candidates, including mentioning Scott for Scott Frost. I mean, I mean, I don't know, but we'll see. Um, <laughs> I, I should, I should, I should clarify myself. My uncle Ed, who's, who's an exe- been an executive chef for years is going to yell at me if he hears this. Uh, you know, Gus has been, you know, the executive chef down on the line, but I think he's like, I, I think he's at the point where he's like, you know what? I'm going to be head chef or, or, or I'm going to be the executive chef. I need to hire me a head chef. You know, there's a lot to that, too, because he was asked about that during Addison Williams um, announcement, Bryson, and and he had actually the the question was direct directly asked of him. I think it was either, you know, the Orlando Sentinels, Jason Beatty or 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 Rivals.com, Brandon Helwig, I forget which, but they asked him about the willingness to uh, forego play calling duties and and. Mm -hmm. Gus didn't outright say yes, but he also mentioned how hard the job has come with recruiting and this NIL era and all that. And and if you uh, double that with my theory of this is probably possibly Gus's retirement job, air quotes, where he's local enough to the place where he wants to recruit, has capitalized on local recruits like never before. Right. A record high high school recruiting class for UCF this year, by the Mm -hmm. way. Yeah. The, the writing is on the wall that he's accepting of the fact that to get that premier guy, he might have to forego those play calling talents. Yeah. Um, it's going to be interesting. Uh, this, uh, by the way, Addison Williams will coach the defense in the bowl game. Like we mentioned, um, no, we're expecting the offensive coordinator uh, hired to be named most likely after the bowl game. So uh, since we're going to be, eyeball deep into uh bowl prep which you heard earlier on our show thanks to our friends at the duke basketball report you can follow them on social media as well thanks to uh bryson it's bryson turner kyle's at the sotg for the student of the game on uh, twitter as well i'm at jeff underscore sharon you can follow us at ucf banner underscore sbn um insofar as um In so, far, in so far as Elon Musk will let us, <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, we haven't been, we haven't been, we haven't been covering his jet. Although, uh, although the uh, the kid who did, did Elon jet, he's a UCF student. Did you know that? Yeah. Yes, I remember. Yeah. That. I remember a UCF student that did an article about an uh, article about him. Fantastic. But um, uh, you can also follow us on Facebook, facebook.com slash Black and Gold Banneret. We will have a post bowl game reaction for you on Night Shift on our YouTube channel, youtube.com slash Black and Gold Banneret. And of course, photos for you uh, all the time on our Instagram page, uh, instagram.com slash Black and Gold Banneret. Uh, and then don't forget to, uh, we've got our upcoming special Christmas present for you, our interview with 
former UCF head coach Mike Kruzek coming out on our podcast feed. Make sure you subscribe to us for that uh, uh, wherever you get podcasts, Apple or Android. If not, make sure you do it. Uh, if you are also, please leave us a rating. We appreciate all the ratings as well. Um, for all of us here at Black and Gold Banner, thank you so much for listening. Um, enjoy the holiday. Please be safe if you're traveling. We will see you next week after the bowl game. UCF against Duke in the Military Bowl. Until then, go Knights, charge on. Enjoy the holiday, everyone.